Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Wozbiz Live from our Barangaroo Studios. Great to have you company for the call. Uh, two experts, um, 10 stocks picked by you. We cover them all in one hour. Let's uh, bring in the team for today. Maitan Somersandaram from Deep Data Analytics. Maitan, happy Monday to you. Happy Monday. Uh, Daniel Ortiz from uh, Lincoln Indicators, Stock Doctor. Daniel, how are you, sir? Good weekend. Yeah, good weekend, except for the the footy result, like I, I just mentioned. So, ah. still still licking my wounds over there. Yes, yes, a Bombers fan. Uh, I would say sorry about that, but uh, you know, I'd be lying. Uh, it was a great end to a game. Um, I had to take, uh, I think, some uh, uh, some pills at the end of it to calm me down. But anyhow, um, let's take a look at the five stocks. We're going to take a uh, cover this half out. Jackster. Uh, Treasury Wine Estates, Genus Plus, Elders and Cleanaway. That's a pretty diverse group, isn't it? Um, but thought I'd take a look today at Centuria Office Rent. Uh, they've come out today and have seen a drop in valuations for about 70% of its portfolio. We talked about this um, a fair bit last week on the discounts from Real Estate Investment Trust, like Centuria Office, and the market deeply discounting them ahead of these types of valuations, of revaluations uh, downward. Uh, the dip uh, in, in Centuria, largely driven by commercial real estate prices, everyone wondering what is the right level at the moment, which will become a major concern for investors. Markets are pricing in impacts from an already slowing economy and simultaneous growth of remote working. Um, there's the uh, uh, the one-year chart from Centuria Office REIT. Uh, down a bit today on this announcement, $1.38, down 20%. Nathan, what is... What does their update tell you today? Oh, look, I think it's an inevitable cycle. We all knew about it. Um, yep. And the overall... But we didn't know how much. Though, yeah, exactly. Did we? The, the, this is the problem. Yeah. We still don't know. Um, right. Because the cycle is only just... So turning. we know clearer yeah. as a result of this, you're oh, saying? I think you, the cycle has turned. Right. So we're going to get more downgrades coming. Right. Um, so the market knows that our property sector has been uh, one of the underperformers. Um, it's taken a fair hit. But I don't think the hit's finished. Um, right. And the market always panics about a downgrade. And then when the downgrade comes, that doesn't mean it's a relief. There's more panic to come. Right. So in that context, it's been a sector that's underperformed. I don't think it's finished. I think more downside risk is coming. I mean, you just have to look at the amount of uh, office trust, I mean, property out there that's empty. Um, if you wanted, a, you know, yep. if you wanted office space in any major city, there's plenty of options. Uh, and people are willing to give you a lot of deals. Now, obviously for the trust, it, it's, it's a weird game because they can't actually cut the rent down because if once they cut the rent down, the valuation starts to drop. Yep. So they kind of caught 
uh, between a rock and a hard place. So there, there's a lot of empty spaces around. I think the bleeding happens for a period of time. Uh, but look, there's one thing you have to be aware of is that if you look back at when the financial crisis hit, there's only one sector that never recovered to the pre-financial crisis level, and that's property trust. Right. And so these things can be substantial. So I'm not trying to pick the bottom on these things. Um, I, I think there are uh, potential mispricing in tech and retail after the beating, right. but the property side of things, I think still high risk. Okay, so the discussion last week um, was that the market has overdone the discounting on REITs, um, that there are bargains there, that the, the market will come back. Does this update from Centuria, does that indicate the market has overdone it or not? Hard to tell. Uh, I think I think we're starting that cycle. I think the clarity will only come through after we go through the reporting so season. So there's a way to go. I think there's a way to go. Right. I think you look at some of those stocks, um, especially in retail and so forth, we're pricing in 30, 40% down. No, I mean rates. In the REITs, I think we just don't know. In, right. in retail, we can look at historical trends. In REITs, I think it's it's a lot to do with how quickly. We haven't seen this kind of cycle before. Right. So I think I'm not going to be judging it. I think I'm going to wait till how it plays out through the reporting season. We're a couple of months away from that, uh, one and a half months for that to be uh, exact. So we'll get much more clarity. So in the meantime, I'm still keeping an eye on it. This is not a But you wouldn't get it? Nah. No. Um, Daniel, what do you reckon? Has, uh, has this, has Centuria's update firmed up any beliefs that you have on whether the discounting in the REITs has been overdone or not? Yeah, it's definitely a case-by-case case, um, type of scenario. So a case like, you know, the COF fund, you, you probably have, you know, second or third tier quality office assets and a really stretched balance sheet. So, you know, right. th there's a genuine reason why this has a massive discount. And, and like Nathan said, they don't recover because you have to consider the capital structure for REITs. So there's a lot of debt that needs to be rolled over and refinanced. Now, if they can't do that at not even just similar rates or or LVRs, but you know, even on competitive kind of terms at the moment, the equity investors will still probably get killed. So that's why it's on a massive discount. You know, potentially other REITs, like one we own is Arena REIT. Now that has much better underlying kind of metrics where, you know, the childcare space in terms of um, rents and everything is actually growing really strongly and demand really strongly. So there's opportunities, but you have to understand what's going on in the underlying. Uh, and office is probably a space we're avoiding completely at the moment. So, you know, you have to be very, very diligent in your analysis of the balance sheet and the underlying fundamentals of the sector. Okay, so would you be in Centuria at the moment or any of these office rates? No, not the pure office rates. It's it's too much risk on the refinancing. And whilst, you know, there might be a, a high dividend potentially there, there's just simply too much equity risk for us. Okay, all right. Interesting and uh, interesting discussion all round at the moment on just because as Matham was pointing out the ripple effect of a downgrade or the cutting rents really then affects mm. their balance sheet and their valuations going forward. So is it a house of cards? Still too early to find out. All right, let's get into the stocks you want us to take a look at. Chris wants a, a view, Daniel, on Jackster. And Chris says, Richard White, the chief executive of WiseTech, the genius behind the uh, uh, logistics platform that has shot the lights out over the last two years. Uh, Chris says, 
He just bought a big share in this small cap, became a substantial shareholder with 9.64%. What do you think? Jackster is um, a music database, um, tech business, developed an online platform called Jackster to hold official music metadata. Um, what do you think, Daniel? Yeah, you, you definitely want to be cautious um, of kind of following these big name investors into a story like this. Like, I'm not sure what type of association potentially if there is one there or, you know, the, the, the reasoning behind why Richard White's invested. But keep in mind, this is a probably what a $3 million investment. He's worth close to $7 billion. So it's the equivalent of us going to 7-Eleven and, and getting a coffee or something like that. It's, <laughs> it's it's not as if he is heavily invested in this story I know, and but, therefore you should go out. But and, he, he, he came from... From the music industry mind you as well so he knows a bit about no that. exactly yeah yeah and, and that's why i think you know it, it could be even you know a, a passion or an interest because i had a look at the jackson platform and it seems to be more like a not really a data provider but almost a place for the whole industry in terms of whether you're a producer or a musician to kind of see where the credits belong on any given piece of content. So they essentially um, are kind of like the one-stop shop for information on credits within music. So not only who is the singer, obviously, but you look at producers, you look at the companies kind of they've worked under, you look at um, who are the songwriters, you kind of get all of that information and therefore, you know, other music producers and things like that can see, okay, this guy has done a quality job here. Maybe I want to collaborate with right. them so you know it's still very early stage and uh, and you know heavily loss making so they're definitely going to need more capital in the future uh, but i think there's been other examples like you even look at brett blundy recently with city chic i think a lot of people kind of followed him in that and and um that's taken a tumble so these types of things you want to pay attention to them mm. but you, you know you probably don't want to rush in and, and get too excited there's a lot of uh kind of underlying fundamentals here we'd want to see the business be able to to perform and at least you know show some some um, signs of cash flow break even or, or something along that line before we get really excited. Right. So for us, we'd probably continue to sit on the sidelines. Okay, Nathan? Yeah, look, I think he's bang on. Um, people get excited when billionaires put a few dollars in. Yep. Um, it, it is lunch money, but it is interesting in the context of what it offers. It's not executing to that level. They've got a new CEO, um, fresh uh, money's come in. Uh, obviously this gets the interest going. The stock's gone from somewhere around, you know, less than two cents to nearly six cents. So the market cap now is about 25 million. So this thing was like eight million before. Right. So it is a micro cap to yep. every sense of the word. So this is a high risk investment, but it's interesting in the context of what it can be. Um, and so you've got a new CEO, you've got an interesting guy with a lot of money who has a passion in that sector. So it's probably going to do something. But am I going to rush out and buy it? No. But I think it's an interesting one to keep an eye on. Um, I think in the current market, these kind of stocks will have that pop when these kind of players come in and then fade out. Right. And I suspect this will fade out as well. Um, but ha it hasn't done much since it came in even. Though. No, no. But I think the market is kind of looking at this. And I think when the market rolls over, this will come off as well. Um, but the interesting part here is I would actually... Um, fascinated by the structure of it and what they potentially could be. So if it comes back to somewhere around three cents, I'd put a bit of money in it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a high risk punt, but it's just the concept of, you know how I always look for in tech, you're looking for yep. platform techs? Yep. 
this has the potential. Uh, which is why you like LTM, Ordinate, those. Right. All of those stocks. What is good about them is that the platform tech. Yeah. So once they have the critical mass on the platform tech, then they right. can add on features and be something even bigger than what anyone thought. So is it that? Not yet, obviously, but it has the potential. So, you know, I don't actually don't mind putting a little bit. This is a high risk investment. So you're willing to lose the lot, but you put a little bit in, keep an eye on it. I think it has the potential. And the fact that there's a guy with a massive checkbook is interested in that thematic and he has a personal interest in that thematic. I think this will get, get a run. <coughs> Whether they execute or not, I don't know. Um, new CEO, so there will be news flow. So I actually don't mind putting a little bit in, but right. just be cautious about it. Okay, all right. Okay, so if it gets to three, it looks pretty liquid. It is. Too, so it? any kind of market panic, these kind of stocks, and trust me, I've done this enough. <laughs> uh, it'll come back hard. And you, right. you know, as a retail investor, that's the beauty of it. When everyone yeah. else panics, you can put a little bit in and not worry that about it move. and let it. Yeah, okay. All right, let's sort of go the other end of the scale. And Dave wants a uh, view on Treasury Wine Estates. Mathan, uh, he says, would love Mathan's view on TWE. Luxury brands seeing more elastic and Treasury is trading below its overseas peers on a PE basis with very similar growth trajectories. It seems the China opportunity is priced in at zero. So good upside there as well, I suppose, if you if you think the uh, the trade war between here and, and China is going to ease up. Treasury Wine Estate, our, our biggest listed wine producer, brands like, uh, like Penfolds uh, lead the way for it. Nathan, um, what do you think of Treasury? Uh, for a bear, I'm going to be bullish a lot of times. Um, uh, look, this is ugly. Uh, it's like a, a bad wine. Um, it looks <laughs> it looks ugly, and that gets my interest. Um, it is a story about China. That's simple yep. as that. Um, if you got China, you got the high margin. It's a growth story. If it's not, it's a you know wait and hold. Um, I don't like the wait and hold in this kind of market. So it is one that I, I think it's relatively well priced for what it is. Um, and the caller's right, it's pricing in very low expectations for China. Mind you, looking at the Chinese data, that's a fair call. Yeah. Um, and you've got 20% unemployment youth um, at the moment. So there's, there's problems in China. Um, I don't know if the consumers are going to come gangbusters. So I wouldn't hold my breath. I think there's a, a decent probability that the geopolitics cleans up a bit and potentially wine could be a beneficiary out of that. So if this could see a bump on the back of that. So I would say you want to look at it, you know, over the next three to six months, it's a nibble. I would buy a little bit. Right. It's a large cap. It's a nibble. You're playing, basically you're betting on management not doing anything stupid and geopolitics improving. And I think it's worth the punt. It does have a really good, I mean, it's got a really good brand and not much less. Right. Um, so it is about penfalls. And if they get that back into China, uh, whether that executes or not, the market will price a fair bit of that in. So, yeah. so I think it's worth the risk return. But in the short term, I mean, you look, tax loss selling, all of that's hit it. So I think it's not a bad punt. I would say you take a small uh, position, see how it plays out. And if things start to improve on the geopolitics, then you add more to it. Yeah. Um, it is literally a play on China story. Yeah. Um, I find it fascinating that they have vineyards now in America, in China, themselves um, in France. So they blend 
locally grown wine with a lot of the, the bulk from Australia, and it gets around the uh, tax excise. Yeah, and also, a product, also it's, a, it's a common trend with most food products now because of the weather risk and sovereign risk with uh, food. So right. if you got, say for example, if you got all your production in one, I mean, look at lithium, why the bigger players are moving out of South America and looking yep. at lithium other places. Because if something happens, whether it's uh, sovereign, whether it's weather related, in agriculture, that could destroy your supply. Yep. And you're pretty much dead. So yep. by mixing multiple different regions, they diversify their production risk. Yeah. So it makes sense, and that's happening for food. There is a lot of consolidation going. People are taking over places in different parts of the world. So they're all playing smart, and I think that makes sense. Uh, but look, the upside is China. That's yeah. the main thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Daniel, what do you think of Treasury? Yeah, so they, they actually put out a recent announcement as well, kind of notifying the market that FY23 is probably going to be a little bit below expectations only roughly three or four percent i think below what analysts were originally forecasting and the reason for that was not in the luxury brands or the you know the higher tier kind of more expensive wines it's actually you know it seems like a pretty material slowdown in in really what they call the premium brands um but i think that that references the wines that are sort of 15 to 30 dollars um so there's continued pressure there and margins as well look like they're going to be um hurt a little bit but like Nathan said it's probably a stock that will trade on the um, the sentiment around China, either both um, domestically in terms of consumption, but also around tourism as well. Um, so you know that that is the upside, and you know the market probably got a bit of ahead of itself because um, the stock went on quite a bit of a, a run this year. And it's really pulled back, so I think it's probably around fair levels now. Um, you know, potentially you could you could be happy to hold it. It is a quality business, roughly twenty times ish forward earnings. Um, uh, but you know, be mindful of, of some of those genuine uh, concerns around margins and and demand for some of their lower quality products because you know it's it's a much greater story than just Penfolds. That is the most valuable and it is the most uh, prestigious brand and and profitable brand they own. Yeah. But you know, you you can see that if there's weakness in other segments and that impacts profits. Well, the market probably won't like that. So, you know, just be cautious. Uh, but it is a quality company, so I'd be happy to mm. hold it. And the big thing, you talk to all the wine groups, I was talking to the guys from Australian Vintage the other week and, and also uh, Tim at Treasury Wine Estates as well, saying the big thing is going to be this uh, low alcohol wine mm. that they're uh, all producing. Like the zero alcohol wine, mm. I think tastes like Ribena. It just tastes like cordial. <laughs> it's horrible as a wine drinker. But they were saying if you if you get the alcohol level down to five percent, it's really hard to tell the difference. And apparently, that's the going to be the big push from these wine companies into sort of low alcohol, low carb wines that still taste like the real stuff. Yeah, look, personally, I'm a bit skeptical on that story. We, we had the same narrative within beer probably six to 12 months ago, but you know, there's, there's not much commentary now on zero alcohol beer. It is a growing segment. Yeah. But I think it's a, I think it's a very tough and probably opens up really uh, to more competition. Um, because if you think about, you know, the quality of the, the wine produced and, and those types of things, will that translate if it's zero alcohol? Like, I'm yeah. not too sure. It's it's okay. obviously a larger market and accessing more type of um more of an audience as yeah, well. So conscious. there's yeah. opportunity, yeah, certainly. But I think it's probably you know a little bit more in the. I reckon they they've nailed zero alcohol beer, but they haven't 
they're a long way off with wine. Sort of zero alcohol yeah. beer. Yeah, you it's know. kind of a fun. Heineken, yeah. low alcohol is good. It's not uh, bad, actually. Um, right. Yeah, I think good. wine is a much tougher game. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Because the beer, they've got the fermenting part sorted, which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but the wine part, because of the process, I think that's going to be tough. But if they can get that, um, the balancing trade-off, if they can hold the flavor and, and the feel, um, then... Yeah, this definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's amazing how we would think that that will never happen, yeah. but these changes happen gradually. Yeah. And then suddenly people turn around and go, "Geez, that's yeah. happened." Yeah. And and yeah, so I would not be surprised. I would yeah. not be surprised. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, let's get off our uh, drinking habits. Uh, <laughs> back to uh, a ask from Luke uh, Daniel. He wants a view on Gen Plus Group. Uh, uh, end-to-end service provider and power telecommunications infrastructure, sort of a, a telco um, power service company, is that? Yeah, so more more so around kind of design and construction for power infrastructure. So I think these guys specifically are more focused in Western Australia and, and in the mining industry for obviously when there's a new project coming online, you know, these guys will tender um, for the, for to build the power infrastructure there. So a lot of their clients, you know, they include pretty big names like Rio and Fortescue and the like, uh, and obviously a lot of kind of more smaller, um, you know, kind of not regional but uh, dislocated gold mines and things of the sort that need that infrastructure built. So that's the majority, or at least I think 40% plus of their revenue. And um, yeah, obviously that can be quite cyclical. Um, but I have noticed that the order book is, seems to be growing quite strongly. Uh, and not only that, but the type of work they've been pitching for and getting in terms of things like battery storage systems in Quinana and and the like is, is really interesting. I mean, yeah. if they can kind of get that and build up that pipeline, you can see almost why the market would want to re-rate this stock. You know, the, the margins obviously are quite slim. You're looking at 3 or 4% net margin and probably likely that, to head lower um, as they kind of ramp up because of a lot of, as we all know, in these capital-intensive businesses, a lot of that working capital does, you know, get incurred and the expenses and the costs can ramp up quite considerably. So for us, it's it's an interesting company. It floated only a few years ago in 2021. Uh, and I did note that the, the IPO was purely, I think, a founder sell down. So, you know, they didn't really look to raise money in terms of new projects or new developments. And that's probably a little bit of a yellow flag for us. Um, you know, it's it's not, you know, a complete deal breaker, but we would have liked to see more of an inclusive type of IPO perhaps to, to, to progress the company. So that's something we'd probably put on the watch list, you know, just concerns around the margins for now. But one that I think doesn't have any coverage at all. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, there could be an opportunity, especially if that renewable um, type of thematic mm. continues to build. Okay. So what, you'd, you'd, would you buy or hold at the moment? No, look, I think I'm comfortable holding it for now. They actually right. don't have too much debt on the balance sheet either, Koshi. So that would be a concern for me if you start to see a lot of leverage here. Um, but it seems to me like they're pretty well funded, uh, growing more projects. Um, the valuation looks cheap, but these businesses are always cheap. Just look at Downer. So right. you'd be happy to hold it for now. Okay. Nathan? Interesting you should talk about Downer. I actually think it's interesting at the moment. Oh. Uh, what, this whole sector? Yeah, the services sector. I think the... The services sector has been absolutely pulverized. Yep. Um, every part of services, mining services, industrial services, commercial services, all of them, uh, because they all signed contracts where they had a revenue locked in, except the costs came up, yep. the margins are always weak, and then they got squeezed even further. Yep. So they've all been smashed, smashed on the back of that. Yep. Exactly. So 
what's good about it is as they win new contracts, they're cycling out the old contracts and the new ones are coming in. The new ones are much better contracts and they've got better margins and you get into an upgrade cycle. So right. a lot of those things are actually starting to improve. Uh, I mean, granted that these are not great quality businesses. These are not CSLs. But yeah. you know, you get the you pay the price for what it is, right? So as an investment, I think still I think the the services side are looking interesting. Uh, we do like a number of them. Um, actually, Diana is one of them now. Um, I think the Genesis Plus is actually not bad. Um, and I think it's going in the right places. I actually don't mind uh, when you got um, founders not chasing the cash. Uh, they're growing. Um, I remember back in the day when John Lynn started. Um, that's exactly what happened. They said, no, we don't want to raise money to acquire other people. We're going to grow. Yeah. And had a huge run. So potentially, I think there are big things. The sector is pretty uh, interesting. I think things are turning around. I'm always worried when a recent float underperforms <coughs> and it didn't do well. It's turning around. Uh, they are winning contracts. So that's a you know net net. I think it's positive. Uh, I think this is one to keep an eye on. History is short, listed mm. history. That's my worry. But I'm interested. I think this sector is doing well. There are real winners. It's a stock pickers market in this sector. Yeah. But you look at you know basic services. You know, uh, Kodan doubled. Yeah. Um, Austel boat builders popped. Um, service stream is now running hard. Um, Downers off the bottom. It's down probably 20, 30 yeah. percent. Uh, so there are stocks in this sector moving, and they're moving on better contracts, more yeah. upgrade outlook. So I think yes, it's ugly. And that's opening up opportunities. So I'm not saying no, but I think I want to see some. Yeah, I want to see it's a hold. I want to see what the result comes out for the result season and get some clarity. But it, you know, no debt. It's in the right area. The sector is doing well. There's a lot of positives to but like. You buy Downer. I'm a buyer of Downer. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's ugly. It's yeah, ugly. Yeah. But so is the sector. Yeah. Um, and I'm willing to. Okay. The risk return is pretty good. All right. Uh, our next stock uh, is a favourite of Nathan's, um, Elders. Les wants a view on that, the, uh, the big agricultural conglomerate, which has been all over the place in the oh, last six months. Are you, do you still have faith in Elders, Nathan? I do. I think the, uh, the, the main thematic is still what it is. Um, I think the food thematic still holds quite well. Um, as we were discussing before, uh, we are seeing um, consistent consolidation on a global basis with producers and service providers spreading around the world. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't see that going away. I think the food thematic plays well. The uh, weather... Look at that though. I know. $13 yeah. back in what, November, December, when the managing director said it's going to retire. Yeah. Uh, that put the skids under the share price. It's now half that. Yeah. The managing director has said he's going to stay. So. Elders is almost at a five-year low. It is. It's been, it's been pummeled. It's an amazing um, example of when the sentiment turns, the fundamentals go out the window. Blimey. And yeah. and so the CEO leaving absolutely pummeled it. And then we had a couple of quant funds leaking it out. Right. Um, and you know, they had a meeting and the outlook was weaker. I mean, we all knew that inflation happened in 2022. Yeah, so yeah. the numbers there were massively inflated. So if you look at previous history, the trend is pretty close to where it is. Yep. But of course you had that bump, as with every stock, you're gonna have this revenue bump and then the cost catch up and then it comes off. Yeah. And so we never know how much it comes off and that's hit elders. And so the downgrade is through the price. The CEO is now hanging around. He's going through the process. So I'm not 
overly fast. Yes, would I have right. liked to have got out at 14 and then come back at six? Yes, yep. uh, but you know, you don't get to pick and choose. But you look at what it is right now, would you buy it? Yes, so for me, it's a buy um, and we stay there. And I think uh, it recovers and I don't think the thematic is going away anytime soon. Okay, Daniel, are you as uh, positive on elders? Oh, I think we, we tend to stay away from the agri stocks as a whole because they're so difficult and, and they are extremely volatile in regards to their leverage to commodity prices. So, look, we, we haven't been in elders and we're unlikely to, to go into it. But I do agree with a lot of the kind of sentiments Nathan has around the food thematic and especially um, agricultural values or land values and things of the sort. So, we'd probably rather see opportunities in something like a rural funds. Now, it's probably not the right time to enter that, but I think that's something that looks probably a lot more interesting and you don't have to wear as much of the risk as the operating business. Um, company like Elder is obviously very diversified, but for example, something like their real estate division, um, you know, absolutely boomed over the last few years when you saw all the rising, um, all the rising real estate values, all the rising commodity prices, clearly a lot of transactions in that space from fund managers and institutional investors, and that's really, really dried up. So there are a lot of earnings levers here that have started to dry up uh, and hence you know there's probably still see a bit of weakness uh, one thing i found really interesting was how much of a reaction they had to the ceo leaving i mean we hear about key man risk and fund managers but mm. i wouldn't have expected it in the like of elders no, no. so that was something that surprised but, me but when, he, but when he said he'd stay there wasn't <laughs> a equal and opposite move yeah that, that's probably that that comes down to the quant funds there was a number of quant funds in there uh, when they get the news and they want to get out, they leave a trailer damage. Right. And so once it goes into the dog box, they don't want to get back in. So they didn't want to ramp it back up. Right. So, that, so there will be a time when back. valuation becomes positive and there will be a ramp okay. up. Welcome oh. to Quant Trader. Okay. <laughs> All right, so Daniel, not for you, but you'd prefer rural funds. Not for area. us. I think rural funds, yeah, something certainly to look at. Uh, probably a bit early okay. for that one as well, but I think that's really interesting. And it comes back to our comments on REITs. Um, certainly yeah. has a lot more of a, a modest balance sheet than, than the office fund. Okay. All right. At Fitstock, uh, Les wants a view, Daniel, on CleanAway, the uh, the big waste management. Um, um, oh, it's massive, isn't it? Um, more than likely to be picking up your bins um, every, every week. Yeah, and no, I think you know investors really like this because you know what's more defensive than a than than clean away someone that's there for waste uh, treatment and replacement. So yeah. it's it's obviously gotten quite a bit of a bid in this type of market where everyone's really looking for defensive businesses, um, and you know there there is a lot of kind of rationale behind that. But for our for our view, really like the the company, it has a history of making a lot of acquisitions, getting the gearing up really high, then then completing a, a pretty poor equity raising to try to reduce that gearing and the cycle kind of continues. And on an earnings per share basis, yes, they will grow um, in the upcoming result. But I think, you know, the, the earnings per share is roughly the same as it was in like 2014 or 2015. So it goes to show how dilutive a company like this can be, even though the share price has performed strongly um, to earnings per share, which for us is a bit of a risk. It's trading on 30 times forward earnings uh, for, wow. for this business. So it's probably too expensive. The business probably, it's defensive, but not as high quality as we'd like to see. And there's just too much risk with all these acquisitions going on. And the cash flow statement probably isn't that good as well. So for a business priced on this type of level, for us, it's probably more of a sell um, than anything. Okay, Nathan? Oh, it's a massive sell. Um, it's a defensive concept. 
Yeah. But um, I love, uh, you know, since Graf's not here, I can actually give him a compliment. Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of how he would describe it. It's a reverse lottery. Right. Right. You have a small risk of something big blowing up on you, and I mean literally blowing up on you. They have a number of areas, especially the toxic um, um, clean clean away part, where if something goes wrong, fire, disaster. When you go into the business, it's actually not that high quality business. There's a lot of risk attached to it. Now, you also have to look at it as what are you trying to buy? Are you buying a growth story? Technically, no. I mean, this thing's got um, two two plus or two point two billion shares, right? So yeah. they issue a lot of shares to buy things to right. deliver growth. So you're really not buying a growth story. You're buying a defensive for the yield. And what's the yield? It's less than two percent. Right. So, okay. I mean, I'd rather take the US 10-year bond yield. I get twice that yep. so, and no risk. So I don't see the reason you're buying it. And if they're going to have growth, they're going to acquire someone, which means you get downloaded. Right. So it's not a win-win for you here. I think the risk is high. I think you sell and go somewhere. In a situation where we are in, where utilities are, you know, prices are rising, uh, the telecommunication, Telstra and all are putting up prices, their yield is much more defendable in this environment. Mm. Um, And this one, I think, struggles to defend it with this kind of low yield, so not worth it. All right, let's recap the uh, the first five stocks, um, including stock of the day, which is the Centuria Office REIT, uh, a no from both Nathan and Daniel. Uh, Same with Jackster, although, Nathan's quite quite interested in it as a platform, a budding platform stock. Um, if it got down to three cents, so from six cents at the moment to three cents, uh, he'd look at it as a uh, as a very speculative buy. And definition of speculative buy is that you could lose everything, but it's quite interesting. And with Richard White, the uh, the founder of um, uh, of WiseTech, take your big stake in it. Uh, looks interesting. Treasury Wine Estate, a nibble from Nathan, uh, a hold from Daniel, um, a hold from both on Genus Plus, um, Nathan in that services sector, which has been absolutely decimated, uh, prefers Downer. Uh, Elders, a buy from Nathan, a no from Daniel, who avoids these sorts of ag stocks uh, altogether, but in that sector, he'd look at look at rural funds and clean away a cell from both. Uh, here at the call, we've been tracking our own high conviction fantasy funders picked by the Investment Committee. Uh, the latest episode, the June meeting on the platform at the moment, July meeting, I think goes up tomorrow. Uh, back in June, uh, South32 was replaced by Altium, uh, platform stock. Uh, Woodside was removed, its weighting split between CSL Linus and West Farmers. Elders removed, its weighting was split between Avita Medical and RPM Global as buyers, and the portfolio up 6% at the moment. All right, this half hour, we're gonna be taking a look at Brainchip, uh, Vanguard MSCI Index International Shares, the ETF, uh, Freehill Mining, Osteopore, and Zimplatz Holdings. Um, Nathan Duncan wants a view on Brainchip. He says this has previously received mixed comments from the guests on the call. Uh, what's the current view of Brainchip and what has happened? Its chart still tends to be horrible. It's uh, in a branch of 
AI, artificial intelligence, in neuromorphic computing. So anything with AI or sounds <laughs> geeky like that in America, everyone would be piling into it. Yeah, if geeky was worth something, I'd be rich. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I still remember when uh, Elon Musk uh, tweeted about brain chip because um, they had they were working on a neural network chip for yep. on the pigs, and he used the word brain chip, and suddenly the brain chip stock went through the roof. Ah. Uh, and it's amazing how uh, sentiment can drive stocks in these uh, areas. I think AI is massive. I think it does change things. But AI is not going to happen tomorrow, um, and industries will take time to evolve. It's just the next level of industrialization, automation, that's going to play out. Um, people have been doing AI for a long time. It's just that now we have a term for it. Um, yeah. But I, I think, uh, look, I think brain chip is an interesting one. I've been looking at it for a long time. Um, and it did nothing for a long time. And then it's had a huge run. Everyone got overly excited. And then now that's fading. This is the usual tech cycle. Um, you have to be there when the tire hits the road, when you're getting the execution, when you're getting the revenue coming into the model. So is that far away? Uh, uh, that's the part. That, that's the tricky part. I, I don't know. Um, right. You know, we haven't seen any, um, I, I guess, the track record of earnings to back this up. And that's where, like, when you're looking at a mining stock uh, in an explorer, you're looking for production to kick in. So you, you, you want to be there when they dig a hole and find it, and there you want to get out because that's on the stupid level. And then when they start production, you want to go back in because that's when the money is coming into the till. And that's the problem here. They've had a number of products, uh, interesting ideas. Um, they've been out there. Now the question is the revenue. Can they get the traction? Can they get the revenue? So a lot of these things... Um, you know, sounds good, and look, most of them are above my pay grade in understanding the technology, uh, but they haven't uh, got the traction. Yeah. And it's as simple as this with Brainchip. I mean, this goes through, I think in the last couple of years, it's either in the best 10 stocks or the worst 10 stocks on a daily move. It used to have that kind of a thematic. Yeah. Um, so I'm not chasing it, I'm waiting for the numbers to come through, and the numbers have not come through. So I'm watching it, it's interesting thematic, I love the area, but it hasn't executed yet. Right. So no need to rush in. Okay. Keep watching it. Daniel? Yeah, you have to be a bit careful when you talk about brain chip because they do have a pretty vocal um, follower base. So one day the stock, you know, it, it could genuinely become, you know, a pioneer or a leader in the space. But, you know, it was previously valued at $2 billion and, you know, it wasn't even just pre-revenue. It was really pre-product. So you just have to consider the valuation. There are times where you can have that intelligent speculation, um, obviously, whether it's biotech or early stage mining uh you know, technology in general, there has to be something tangible there you can hang your hat on. And Brainchip, you know, it, it just isn't there yet. And still, I think trades on roughly almost a $700 million market cap. So, you know, wow. there's just still so much priced into this stock. Uh, and, you know, we, you, you just can't really quantify it. As an analyst, you know, it, it, it's just too puzzling for us. It's almost too hard. So, yeah, it's another avoid um, for us. And if there was something there, tangible in the product that we could see potentially you could rationalize it but for us probably there's just not enough okay all right um let's turn our attention to etfs now and daniel jewin wants a view on the vanguard msci index international shares etf yeah a, a pretty stark difference to, to brain chip um look 
clearly, if you're interested in this, you know, you, you're more looking for just general exposure to the global equity markets. Um, you know, obviously, this just tracks really the biggest companies in the world. So it's still majority US, I think roughly 70% um, market cap weighted to the US. So you're still obviously taking on a lot of US exposure. Um, and obviously, the mega caps have had a huge run. So clearly, it's been a great performer. If you're looking for that long term, you know, exposure to global equities, low cost manager, this is the perfect vehicle for you. Um, just consider kind of, you know, what it's investing in and whether or not you, you, you want to be exposed to that. Um, you know, if, if you want something a little bit more diversified, there are probably other options out there for you. Um, so, you know, you can't really give a, a, a buy, hold or sell on this. It just depends on your exposure that yep. you're looking for to the, to the global markets. Yep. Um, so do you think the global markets have topped out if this is a barometer particularly of the uh, of the US market. Five-year high at the moment. US market, of course, pushed by, you know, the mega tech stocks rather than mm. it being a, a broad base rebound. Obviously, it's reflected in, uh, in this um, ETF as well. Can it last? Well, I think near-term momentum, it certainly can. And if you look statistically, kind of the months of July, you know, global equities do tend to perform well. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see the rally continue. But you obviously have to understand that, you know, if, if there is a bit of investor kind of concern or a sentiment change, you know, even a broad-based ETF like this can react pretty quickly. And if we look at kind of the, the expectations for a soft landing in the US, you know, there, there has been some signs there in terms of CPI data and the like that, you know, inflation is coming down and there will be a soft landing. So there is a lot of expectation in the global equity markets. Um, for us, you know, we're, we're probably a little bit more sceptical of that. We're still holding, you know, a decent amount of cash uh, in right. our managed funds. So we are right. a little bit more defensive, um, but, you know, certainly don't underestimate the momentum in the short term. Hmm. Nathan? Oh, look, it's, a, it's pretty much like a NASDAQ index, isn't it? Um, and it's had a huge run. Um, and I would say if you've been there, you just you take your money um, and wait because cash is returning very good return at the moment so you'd sell i'd sell um this right. is a if you have it i'd be selling it's it's a matter of you buying this is you're playing the global thematic yep and it's back at pre um rate rise level yeah it's five year high exactly interest rates are up five percent in the us five percent yeah. that's a huge amount now timing is always hard and the market can be irrational longer than you can be yep. but the reality is you're not in a rush. Yep. In an average year, you make all your returns in about three, four months. The rest of the time, you try not to do something stupid. Right. Right. <laughs> so the reality is, this is telling you that the market has been irrational enough to pay you this return. Right. Say thank you, take the profit, and sit on cash. You can put the cash into a, a, a number of options where you have zero risk and you can get 4% yep. return per annum, paid to you monthly. Yeah, I mean, seriously, where is your risk return? That's that's a simple question. Right. I think there's a time for it. If you have a multi-asset view and this is part of that, that's fine. I would trim that and probably increase something else to manage out your, your cash position or even your fixed right. income. So you've got to manage the risk return profile. This on an individual basis, if I was looking at the relative valuation, it's a sell any day right. of the week. Okay. All right. Uh, Jack wants to view Nathan on Freehill Mining, um, mining exploration company, uh, magnetite, iron ore, magnetite, copper and gold in Chile. 
in the Yerbas Buenas magnetite project. I think I've got the Spanish right there. Yeah, well, I'm not going to try. No. <laughs> um, oh, look, it, um, you know, I don't want to say the chart looks ugly, but it looks ugly. Um, it, it's, we are, we're in a situation where everyone got overly excited about China. Growth commodities had a, a decent run. It was one of the crowded trades globally, and then it unwound and everyone got out. So right. the timing of it is everything. Um, and we, this is the time when explorers get into trouble. And this does not give me any confidence to jump into uh, to see what's going to play out. Is that chart say it's worth nothing? Well, it's it's pretty. It's not <laughs> nothing. I think it's pretty much not trading. Um, so it's been like that for a bit. And I'm assuming the the caller has shares and it's kind of gone into a. Right. Uh, it's in a trading halt, I think. Uh, right. Most yeah. of this year. Um, and so it is that situation. Geez, if you've been there, what do you do? You just hold it and hope the management does something. Right. Uh, but reality is fresh money, no. Um, I mean, if you're looking at the mining space in the cycle we're in when China is not doing a lot of stimulus, everyone is bullish copper, but the copper has underperformed, continues to underperform. Um, so in that scenario, I think it's tough. Just keep an eye on copper. When the economic cycle recovers and things start to re- recover, copper should recover. Yep. And then you should then look at the mining space. Right now, um, the explorer side of mining space is high risk. And so you've got to be really careful. Uh, we're being very selective in what mining exposure. We like some areas, but overall, I think it's really tough at the moment. And I would not be just jumping in. Interestingly, I was talking to someone before, and biotechs are getting a lot of interest at the moment. Right. And that usually only happens when people are not interested in explorers ah. because it's a like for like risk return. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, you make a lot or you lose a lot. Yeah. Uh, and so in that context, that tells me how people are starting to gravitate um, oh. as, and you know, I think one okay. broker called it the end of the super cycle. Interesting. They never called the start of the super cycle. But anyway, <laughs> that being said, um, it was more of a, a start of the China optimism and then it kind of unwound. And so I think we're in that cycle where people are not that optimistic about uh, explorers, and that might last for a bit of time, especially if global slowdown and recession worries start to pick up further. Yeah. So yeah, okay. no point putting fresh money here. All right. If Bio- you're there, unfortunately, sorry, but yeah, you can't yeah. do much anyway. Okay. A biotech coming up. We'll see if uh, it's on your radar as well, Nathan. Um, in the meantime, though, Daniel, uh, Freehill Mining. Yeah, geez, it would have been good to hear Gaurav go over this one. Uh, <laughs> I think there would have been a few uh, stark words there. Oh, it would have been ugly. <laughs> yeah, this is. It, it actually was uh, developing and shipping some ore, um, I think, in 2021. But even at record iron ore prices, they couldn't make any money. And this is in Chile. This is iron ore development and exploration in Chile. So, yeah, the, this is just incredible um, amount of speculation and risk here and they're actually i saw in a recent announcement they're actually pivoting to try and uh sell some of its concentrate or some of its rock uh as cement so i'm not sure yeah i'm not sure what's going on i'm not sure if that's a viable strategy um but i think they have like thirty thousand dollars left in cash so yeah clearly this is something that you you really couldn't get behind at all and like nathan said if you're here or perhaps wait and see what happens when it does come out of trading but yeah, I think yeah. this is probably the perfect example of the, the risks involved in early stage exploration and mining. Yeah, yeah, and when you're caught in there, there is a group, isn't there? Even if I think you have to pay for it, 
that will in June, a lot of people use them in June with uh, uh, with trading halt or mm. delisted companies will just take them off their hand so you can claim it as a tax loss. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, um, deregistered securities along that yeah. line, like you said, Kosha. Yeah. So there's definitely something along along the line. Um, and yeah, I think it's I think it will be breathtaking if this ever comes out of a halt because I only have thirty thousand dollars. So yeah, okay. seems like that will have to be an option. All right, now maintenance theory: people getting out of uh, explorers into biotechs. Uh, Peter wants a uh, view, Daniel, on osteopore. They do 3D printing of bioresorbable implants that are used in surgical uh, procedures to assist bone healing. Um, what do you think of osteopore? Yeah, the, it all sounds interesting. And when I was looking through kind of the recent presentation, I'm not sure if it's a similar product to some of the skin um, healing products out there because yeah. it does seem like a, almost a little kind of fabric um, yeah. that they're kind of 3D They've got an o- osteo mesh and an osteo yeah. plug. So, yeah, similar. Yeah, so I'm not sure if, if that's, you know, a competitor or if that's a completely different product. It's still very, very early stage. I think the business does have a little bit of revenue coming through the door, but I'm not sure if that's for the, the exact product itself, more so perhaps some distribution or, or marketing business that they've yeah. got in the space in Singapore, um, Taiwan, China. So look, this is probably the type of thing that we really couldn't get behind. You know, we're, we're not adverse to, to early stage biotech. We'll have a look, but, you know, there probably has to be more kind of certainty around the model. So we'd probably be looking more at something like an Aurora or a Polynovo um, or even a Vita uh, as well than something yeah. like this because it's, yeah. it's just too early stage. And the same thing with the capital raising and the financing, like they're, they're going to need a lot of money to finance mm. this. So can't see the share price improving anytime soon unless there's a major breakthrough, um, which, you know, even for us probably wouldn't be, yeah. be able to get behind it. So it's a pretty stark no for us. Look at that. It's only been listed a couple of years. Came, nah. You know, it was a good... Good story. Obviously, you've got to have a good story if you're going to IPO, but a dollar down to nine cents. Um, we had Andrew Wyland on from um, from DP Wealth Advisory, uh, who uh, we um, sort of lovingly call the ETF whisperer because he, he loves his ETFs. Um, he was saying there's an ETF with the code CURE, C-U-R-E, um, which if you want exposure yeah. to biotech, he said mm. gives you a basket of international biotechs if you uh, if you want to play that space. Um, Nathan, what or, do you think of Or just buy CSL. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it's it's, yeah. The, it's oh, the biggest yeah. and the best biotech uh, in our market by, by none. Yeah. Um, uh, look, um, I, I think, well, I'll start with my first thematic. It listed, I think, mid-2019 uh, and the float underperformed for the first six months. When right. that happens, statistically, run. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that hasn't been wrong on this one. Um, it's leaked a lot. Um, it's what, less than 15 mil market cap. Um, yeah, they're gonna be raising a lot of money um, to pr- prove their product. It ha- it's been, it, I always find it funny how you're coming into the market, you're raising money, you have you must have a thematic you got something that you think the market wants and you raise the money to do it so you've had four years and they haven't been able to show the market that it works or it hasn't got the traction yeah so investors here you you give them a couple of years after that you're basically funding a dream till it becomes reality yeah 
and I've invest, I've wasted too much money on other people's yep. dreams. Yeah. Um, so no, this is no for me. Um, I think if you're there, take your money and go somewhere else. I think the sector is interesting, but the key thing is you got to look at um, you know as Daniel said, it's 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 about they got it getting traction. Mm. You know, they've got products out there, it's selling, numbers are coming through, revenue is starting to come. Yeah. Those are the ones. They might cost a bit more, but then then you're in there for the product sale, right? Yeah. You're there for the, the upside. But here, hey, this could take, and I'm, I'm look, as a as someone who's burned a lot of money well, on it's like a But it's like an explorer. It is, it, it is. Explore, explore, explore. But, but the explorer, at least with the explorer, they go into an area which has got something. So even... Right. Dumb and dumb, punch a hole and you're going to hit something. <laughs> right. But the risk here is huge. Yeah. You're trying to do something unique, right? So the risk is huge, but also the return is huge. So, yeah, you really have to have a punt. And this punt has not worked. Yeah. Um, and it's been there for a long time. So I think you go somewhere else. They always have, have great themes and you wish them well because often... Sure. Uh, you don't um, you don't cure cancer by sitting around flicking numbers. Yeah, you know yeah. you got to do some random stuff. Yeah. So I, I'm glad people do these things. Yeah. But as an investment, it hasn't. <laughs> Howard Coleman from uh, Team Investor always says, if you like the company so much, uh, donate uh, rather than buy their shares because then at least you get a tax deduction <laughs> on the uh, on the investment, which That's which which isn't a bad theory. Yeah. Actually. All right, our final stock. Ben wants a view on Zimplats. Uh, Mathan, a, a mining company in Zimbabwe. Uh, in fact, their their biggest mining company. The only reason the shares are listed here in Australia is because they had a joint venture with BHP back in the nineties that they wound down. But this the shares still listed here are carryover for that. Um, but they're huge, aren't they? In uh, platinum, palladium, uh, nickel, gold, cobalt. Yeah. Look, I think it's it's okay. It's it's is this sort of the BHP of Zimbabwe. It right? is a bit, and right. then you got the. I mean, given what happened with uh, African assets with the sovereign risk, that's always yeah. going to hang around. Yeah. Um, so that's you're going to get that discount for that. But oh, I think it's okay. Um, you know, I think it's holding up relatively well. Um, and it's you know, mind how much you have in there. Um, I wouldn't go too overboard. But as 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 a mining stock, I think it's okay. I think it's you got the sovereign risk, but the market knows that. Um, so net net, I think it's okay. It's relatively diversified. I like the um, the commodities. It's a bit different to most mm. others offer. Uh, we are going for those unique players. Yep. So this is an interesting unique player. Um, if it you know if the market comes off and this gets hit, I'll definitely look at it because right. I'm looking for those unique commodities right. where there's not too much supply. So, oh, I think so it's you wouldn't okay. be in it now, but would you hold I think it's it? a I think it's a hold. Okay. I think it's a hold. Um, I wouldn't jump in and put money, um, but. It's a hold. I think it's unique enough that you can be a hold. Okay. Daniel? Yeah, this is um, a really interesting story. For me, it really highlights kind of the difference uh, in management style from BHP. When you look at it in the 90s, they sunk over $500 million in this uh, and pretty much lost it all versus how they kind of act now um, was, was was really a great case study to look into. But look, understand that Hopefully they act differently stock. now, what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you look at recent years, yes, but it uh, right. wasn't too long ago. Even Rio Tinto with uh, their uh, adventures into coal in Mongolia. So, right. you know, th- there's a lot of oh, examples yeah, in recent history. Yep, <laughs> but, yep. um Yeah, and and look, it actually worked out really well for these guys. That's because they partnered 
with um, a, a, the company's called Impala. They're a huge South African company, one of the world leaders in PGE mining. So right. um, it, that's their partner here. They, they own 87% of this company. So if you're investing in this on the ASX, you, you know, you're, you're kind of at the whim of what they do as the majority shareholder. So it's, it, I, I can't find too many reasons probably to invest in this because it's so small, so illiquid, um, and you're really exposed to the risks in Zimbabwe. In 2011, um, you know, there was actually some concerns whether they would lose their mining license and the stock you know, pretty much got absolutely crushed by that. And there's no reason why something that, like that couldn't happen again. So just be heightenedly aware. And yes, the financials and the dividends look great, but um, you know, for my money, if I was interested in something like that as an opportunity, you know, you still have the coal miners here who are, who are roughly paying the same amount of dividends right. uh, as something like Zimplat. So I'd probably be more focusing on that if I wanted that high risk, really high return kind of short-term opportunity. Um, because yeah, it's just too many factors really going against okay. you here as a minority investor. All right, uh, let's recap the uh, the final five stocks. Uh, Brain chip is a no from both uh, Nathan and Daniel. Um, the Vanek uh, MSCI International a hold from uh, from Daniel, a sell from Nathan, um, who who believes it's the top of the market. Uh, Freehill a no from both Osteoport a no from both. Zimplats a no from Daniel, a hold from Nathan. Daniel Ortizzi from Lincoln Indicators, Stock Doctor. Mate, good to see you. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, good to be here. Hopefully did Gaurava justice today in today's episode. (laughs) Yes, you certainly did. Certainly (laughs) did. Nathan says you are better than Gaurava. That's a low benchmark anyway. Oh, Nathan. Nathan Thompson-Dara from Deep Data Analytics, mate. Good to see you. Nice to be here. All right, just a quick programming note for you. Our next virtual investor event is coming up tomorrow, July 4, hosted uh, not by... Uh, Logan Roy, but by me. Uh, It's on succession, even if you're not a billionaire media baron, it's worth joining this one. We're going to dig into the most common mistakes people make when transferring wealth to the next generation. We'll be looking at estate planning, tax structures, family offices, business transfers, and philanthropy. Plus, uh, plenty of opportunity to have your questions answered. Now, if you subscribe to our emails, and you should, uh, you'll find all the details in an invitation or just head to osbiz.co forward slash succession. Now, if you'd like any stocks uh, for me to cover here on the call to put to our expert panel, uh, put them in, uh, uh, go to osbiz.co slash call picks, put them in there or tweet us using the at osbiz TV handle. Coming up in the next hour on The Pulse, we'll be taking a look at the new property figures coming out from CoreLogic. We'll take a look at China and also what the Reserve Bank is going to do tomorrow. All that coming up after the break. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.